This is the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your lovable and genial host, as always, Dr. Andy Johnson. Today, we are looking at what happens when you apply a business paradigm to schools and struggling readers. <clears throat> this podcast will look at two different types of systems described by Arthur Combs, a top-down closed system and a person-centered open system. And this podcast will contrast the effects of a top-down closed system and a person-centered open system applied in an educational setting. Now let's look at a business paradigm first. Top-down closed systems are common to a business paradigm and manufacturing organizations. <laughs> Here they're leader-centered, highly managed, and hierarchical. Here the leader and workers exist on a hierarchy, each with well-defined roles. There's a common goal related to the production of goods or the delivery of services. <clears throat> Organizational machinery, sometimes called machine bureaucracy, is put in place to achieve this goal of production and delivery. The role of the worker here is to perform a specific function in the operation of the organizational machinery. And the value of the worker is determined by his or her ability to perform that specific function. Rewards and punishments are put in place to manipulate workers in pursuit of the organizational goal, which is profits. If there is a problem in the organizational machinery, the leader establishes the cause of the problem and selects the solution. And a solution is designed by experts outside the worker hierarchy and inserted into the organizational machinery to fix the problem. <clears throat> now, within this business paradigm, competition is valued both within the system and outside the system. And this competition is sometimes called market-driven forces. Competition is seen as the best method to ensure that the most effective workers and systems are A, rewarded, <clears throat> B, get more resources, and C, flourish. This means, by contrast, that less effective workers and less effective systems are not rewarded, get fewer resources, and eventually fail. So competition within the business paradigm creates winners and losers. Now there's a tendency for those who have flourished within this type of system to become strong proponents of it. This becomes problematic only when their system paradigm is used as the standard to which all other types of organizations are measured. The false assumption being that the methods and problem-solving strategies that were effective in one type of organization will be equally effective in other types of organizations. And the result of these kind of false assumptions are rarely good, especially when it comes to education. Now let's look at schools. When a top-down closed system is applied to schools, teachers are considered workers under the direction of a principal or some other external entity. The clear objective is higher scores on achievement tests. Teachers here have well-defined roles, which is to implement 
the educational machinery or curriculum. The machinery in this case is a set of commercial programs created by experts outside the school and designed to generate profits for the publishers. The value of the teacher is determined by his or her ability to operate the educational machinery with fidelity. And if there's a problem with production, meaning that if student achievement scores are low, a leader or external entity identifies the problem and selects the solution. And then a new piece of educational machinery, meaning a new for-profit program or curriculum, is then inserted into the existing educational machinery to fix the problem. <clears throat> now, teachers in the top-down closed systems are often evaluated using value-added measures or merit pay. Using value-added measures, teachers are evaluated and rewarded by comparing students' current test scores to their scores in previous years. Using merit pay, teachers are evaluated and rewarded on end-of-the-year test scores. Schools are also evaluated and rewarded based on students' achievement test scores. Underachievement, underachieving scores <clears throat> are penalized by having to spend resources to transport students to other school districts, to hire tutors, or to pay for students to attend for-profit learning centers. And schools that continue to do poorly here would cede control of the school to the state or private contractor. Now, this description may seem a bit far-fetched. However, this system that I just described describes the essential elements of No Child Left Behind. The untested hypothesis here was that all the successful schools would grow and prosper, while all the underachieving schools would disappear someplace. And since this top-down closed system seemed to work well with shopping centers and fast food restaurants and convenience stores, the reasoning was that it would work equally well with schools. However, it did not. This system may be effective in the business world where profits are the bottom line, but it does not transfer to education where people are the bottom line. Now, as No Child Left Behind is slowly fading away from our consciousness, we realize that it was an expensive and time-consuming failure. And this often happens when entities outside of education make decisions about education. But today we're reliving the No Child Left Behind nightmare again with science of reading reforms, where schools and teachers are judged on student test scores and scripted curriculums are purchased to solve the problems. Teachers, again, are factory workers who must simply read and follow the directions of these for-profit reading programs. And the same for-profit program is administered to all students, regardless of background or experience or culture. It's the same, the same, the same, and equity 
is mistaken for equality. Equality is mistaken for equity. The same does not mean equitable. What about struggling readers in a closed system and IEPs? In a top-down closed system, individualized educational programs tend to become standardized educational programs. That means standardized tests are used to assess the products, which are students, as they move through a 13-year assembly line. Students who fall below a certain percentile ranking are said to have a disability. They're defective products. Additional standardized tests are given by standardized testing experts to diagnose the cause of the disability. The disability is then treated the same way as a disease. <clears throat> Here, a standardized treatment is prescribed. Students are sent off to a special room, apart from the educational classroom, to receive prescribed standardized treatment, usually a one-size-fits-all program, by a treatment expert, a special ed teacher. In this segregated setting, the treatment expert special ed teachers, implements the standardized treatment with fidelity. Goals are established and measures are identified to assess and document progress towards a goal. And a form of this approach is commonly used with students who have reading difficulties. However, it is not effective. Students with reading difficulties rarely experience accelerated reading once they began special education services. And clearly, we can do better. Let's contrast with a person-centered open system. Person-centered open systems are often found in the helping professions, such as human services, health care organizations, disability services, community services, social work, government agencies, providing physical and psychological therapy, also the medical field and education. Now, while this type of system is more common to small organizations, it also contains many of the elements of a healthy functioning democracy. Now, a people paradigm, let's take a look at this. Person-centered open systems have their origin in the work of Carl Rogers and person-centered psychotherapy. This was developed in the late 1960s. This approach diverged from traditional psychotherapeutic methods of the time that used the medical model to diagnose the patient and then prescribe a treatment. The treatment here usually involved the therapist manipulating or directing the patient towards a goal that the therapist had identified. Now, in contrast, Rogers used a non-directive empathetic approach that empowered each client to achieve his or her personal goals on the way to wellness. It was recognized that every individual has a natural inclination towards wellness, growth, and self-actualization. These states of being and becoming are best facilitated by creating the supportive conditions that are unique to each individual person. Person-centered open systems are leader-facilitated and flexibly structured with roles that evolve 
as tasks change and organizations evolve. These roles include a system of checks and balances to ensure that A, actions by all individuals and groups within the organization are in pursuit of the common goal, B, all voices are heard, and C, no single voice dominates. <laughs> like the top-down closed system, it's goal-oriented with clearly defined objectives. However, unlike the top-down closed systems, the person-centered system focuses on the processes used to facilitate the conditions in which the goals and objectives can best be achieved. This process-oriented approach may seem a bit more inefficient when compared to the top-down closed system. However, in the long run, this approach is more effective as it sustains growth and enhances the evolution of the organization. And this in turn leads to better production of goods or delivery of services. A top-down approach does not allow for this degree of dynamic change. So let's take a look at schools. When functioning at their highest, a school uses many elements of the person-centered open system. The goal of this type of school is for all students to achieve their full potential as human beings and as members of a democratic society. Thus, specific objectives used to support this goal are unique to every school. And determinants of those objectives involve multiple types of measures and indicators. Teachers in this type of open system are recognized as the most important variable in determining the amount of learning that takes place. The principal here is a leader facilitator whose central role it is to provide the conditions that enable each teacher to achieve his or her highest teaching state. These conditions include things such as time to plan and communicate with colleagues, manageable classroom sizes of 15 to 20 students, and the books and other teaching materials necessary to be effective. And within this context, teachers are empowered to make the decisions they know are best for their school, their classroom, and their students. However, good decision-making is predicated on teachers having a continually evolving and expanding body of knowledge related to educational research, research-based theories, and research-based best practices. Thus, professional development for teachers is also one of the conditions necessary for healthy functioning schools. Now in a person-centered open system, schools and teachers are held accountable for the teaching processes used, not just the outcome. And it's recognized that focusing on the process, that means the research-based practices and the pedagogical strategies used, is the most effective way to achieve the desired learning outcomes in education. In contrast, focusing overly much on the outcome, which is often standardized test scores, has led many schools and teachers 
to engage in practices that can be considered educational malpractice. And here, creativity, innovation, individuation, and high-level learning have been discarded in favor of practices that result only in improved test scores. Now, this utopian view of schools that I described is not as implausible as it might seem. Many of the elements I just described can be found in Montessori schools and in schools that reflect the education, the holistic education movement. So let's take a look at struggling readers in IUPs in this system. One of the central tenets in schools using a person-centered open system is the recognition that all humans learn. Our big human brains are hardwired to acquire knowledge and to understand phenomena. We're curious creatures who inherently try to make sense of the world that confronts us. It's this natural inclination that has enabled our species to evolve from earlier times. Learning is effortless when teaching is aligned with this natural inclination. Based on this, IEP should be designed to identify what needs to be learned and how students might best learn. In a perfect educational world, all students would be recognized as having unique learning needs. Every student would have some form of an IEP. Here, each student would work with parents and teachers and together define goals to which they aspire, both personal and academic, as well as a plan for achieving goals and setting objectives or benchmarks to document their progress along the way. Each student would have a voice in the IEP process, thereby enhancing both self-efficacy, which enhances learning, and self-determination, which gets them reading for life outside the classroom. In this perfect world, IEPs would be simple, pragmatic, usable, flexible, and lead to positive real-world outcomes. Now, we may not be able to fully achieve this perfect educational vision. However, we can certainly get a bit closer. Two versions of education in schools based on Arthur Combs' description of two common types of organizations have been described here. Top-down closed system and person-centered open system. It's clear which system is being pushed today by the educational industrial complex and the science of reading community. This is done to the detriment of learning as teachers are forced to engage in educational malpractice by states mandating the use of only approved scripted curriculum. This has been the Reading Instruction Show. I'm your host, Dr. Andy Johnson.